Welcome to this week's edition of An Hour of Your Life. My name is Kim. And I am Steve. And we are trying to keep dry. It's It's been really rainy and gross out today. Yeah, this morning it started out, it was um, ice. And they've been predicting ice. and It was like raining ice. I could hear it hitting the side of the house. It was really not. But by the time we went out to get coffee this morning for our production meeting, (laughs) it it turned to rain, and it ended up getting up in the 50s today. So it really, except for wet, yeah, it wasn't really super cold like, or anything. Yeah, but it's been raining, drizzling. Blech. That's all right. Yeah. Welcome to winter. Our 50-degree, non-normal 50, 50, Dayton winter. 50 degrees. All right, so we are back in the beautiful Gem City again this week uh, for a History of Dayton Part 2. Uh, if you didn't listen to Part 1... Um, go back and listen. Go back and listen, but it's not, I mean, you can pick it up here. I don't think it'll be, You can. I think you can probably listen to part two first if you want to. Like, you don't necessarily have to listen to them sequentially. Uh, but we did get up through. It'd be like Star Wars. Something like that, yeah. Yeah, where you start in the middle, then you can go back. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we didn't plan it that way, but you can, you can listen to it that way if you want. Uh, so last week we got through um, up to the end of World War II, uh, so we're going to pick back up in the 50s, but I do kind of want to um, backtrack a little bit. And we may bounce back Yeah, and we'll bounce around a little, switch, a little but, bit. But, but it'll be pretty clear. Yeah. Uh, I do want to backtrack a little bit and mention the fact that Dayton uh, has always been and really continues to be a city that welcomes immigrants. Um, in the early to mid-1900s, a lot of foreign migrants moved to the city, including Germans up from Cincinnati, uh, there were a lot of Germans that moved from Pennsylvania into Cincinnati and then moved up to Dayton. So I got a question. Yeah. Now, we talked about this on our Porkopolis show, which is Cincinnati. Yep. So we had all these German immigrants that moved up here. Mm-hmm. And this morning, we went down to Cincinnati for something. We did. And on the menu for breakfast, they had Geta. So why didn't Geta make its way north to Dayton? It's, I don't, it's pretty tasty stuff. Did it not? No. I mean, well, you can buy it at Kroger down you can the street. Buy it at, you can buy it at Kroger. You don't but, really see it a lot, I guess. But you don't see it out at the restaurants. No, but you. to be fair, you don't really see it at a lot of restaurants in Cincinnati either, do you? Uh, I worked down there for about 12 years, and yes. Do you really? Yeah, for breakfast menu, absolutely. I, well, that's a great question. What's I don't our, know. What, what's our, our diner down there? Sugar and Spice. <laughs> Sugar and Spice. The Pink House. The Pink House. Yeah. Yeah. Um. If you are a listener from Cincinnati or you know the answer to that question, write to us. Let us know. I, do, I don't know the answer to that question. That's know. an interesting question because it's not like it's super far. No. Chili made it. Chili, the, like the Skyline version of Chili, Cincinnati Chili made its way up to Dayton. So I don't know. I get it didn't come with it. I don't know. Let's get back to the show. Anyway, uh, there there's, was a Polish um, influx and most notably Hungarians. In the earlier part of the uh, century... A lot of the Barney and Smith Car Company was run by a Hungarian Jew. So a lot of other Hungarians emigrated here and worked for the company. They stayed after the flood in 1913, and there's still a large element of the community. Uh, nowadays, and I think you're going to talk about this in a little bit uh, with Fu Yao Glass, we have a decent Chinese influx as well, well into Dayton. That's but. one of the nice things about Dayton is when it gets to be fest season, which is typically late summer into the fall. There are so many yeah, different fests. We German have a fest, lot of, Italian fest, Polish fest. Yep. Where if we you have like a lot food, of Greeks, it's there. Greeks, Turks, Italians, all of them have festivals and clubs. And, of course, the end-all, be-all for international cuisine in Dayton. Pizza? World Affair. World Affair, yes. World Affair is, uh, it's always on my birthday weekend, which is the best best thing ever. If you're not from the area and you're listening to our show, World Affair is a thing that they have at our convention center every year where all of the local clubs and organizations, uh, they get a booth and they each can, um, there's a theme every year. Like it might be, I think last year was death and it was the way different cultures deal with death and like represent death in their, in their national culture so all of the um they all have to do their booth has to have something to do with the theme for that year and they can serve they sell food and drink uh that has to do with where they're from so like at um 
like at the Greek booth, you always have baklava and euros. And at the German booth, you always have uh, like wheat beer and Weizen, Weizen, Weizen yeah, yeah. Um, German lager. Of, yeah, I'm trying to think of some of the other big and booths. Stuff like that. Yeah. yeah, the Italy booth is always really good. Oh, the French booth is always really good because they oh, always I have tons of pastries. Like yes. that's what the French French booth sells. Um, and we brought home a Franzi. We did. Uh, there's <laughs> yeah. Speaking of German, we 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 got a German from um, World Affair one year. There are uh, you better there, explain that one. Uh, yeah, there okay. are several in the lobby of the convention center. There are a couple of um, like non-festival associated booths that set up, um, and one of them is a an organization called ASSE, which is I don't know what it stands for, um, but it's basically a student exchange program. Uh, and so we signed so up. So we signed up, and we got a German kid that came and, and lived with us. For ended a year. up with Franzi for an entire school year. Yeah, Franzi. So Franzi even got her um, driver's license she here. She did. Yeah, we miss her. We need to. So go I thought her. I was She's pretty much done with uh, driving, like with temp license. Yep. And ended up had to take Franzi too. I guarantee you're gonna have to take the grandkids. Yeah, probably. I guarantee at some point you will. Yeah. Anyway, um, but. You mentioned pizza. That's what I want to get into first because pizza is my favorite food under the sun. I love, 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 love pizza. Um, but now that we're trying to watch our carbs. We have to get creative. It's all right. We only cool. get pizza like three times a week now. Well, you know, you got to make sacrifices. Maybe maybe a slight exaggeration on three times a week. But yeah, I know it's, that. It's actually like four. But I, I know that any day of the week, if Kim's saying, no, 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 I don't want. All I got to do is say pizza. Oh, I'm down. And she'll... I'm always down for pizza. And I'm off to get pizza. Absolutely. Or we make our own. We did. We made our own pizza last night. Was it last night or the night before? It was really good. Anyway, uh, you may or may not, if you live in Dayton, know about the Pizza Wars of 1966. Uh, So, but if you do live in Dayton, you know the name Vic Cassano. He... In 1953, Vic Cassano and his mother-in-law opened a pizza store in the back of a grocery store. And the first day, they sold 400 square-cut thin-crust pizzas. Now, Thin-crust happens to be my favorite. I would like to clear up some things. <sighs> this is a bit of a soapbox for me. Because, like I said, I love pizza. Every place has their own... like. There are, there are different kinds of pizza. You got New York-style pizza, which is the big floppy foldable pizzas, like huge slices. You got Chicago deep dish style, and those two guys hate each other, apparently. Like, they're always, mine's better than yours. And deep dish style is, uh, it's, it, it, it is a pie. It's a pizza pie. Like, it's crust, filling, crust, sauce on top. If you've never had one, you should try it. It's worth, it's worth a shot. It's very filling. Apparently, St. Louis has a pizza they St. Louis cl- claims that they invented thin crust pizza. Now, in the course of researching cuz I thought that Dayton w- invented thin crust pizza. I I now will eat my words and say I'm not sure that that's true that Dayton invented thin crust pizza, but I will stand my ground and say that Vic Cassano invented square crust pizza or square cut pizza. Okay. I'm planting my flag on this hill. I will die on this hill. So uh, they sold 400 square-cut thin-crust pizzas in 1953 on their first day. In 1955, did you know this, that Casano's was actually one of the first franchises in the nation? Yes, I did know that. I didn't know that until I got into it. I mean, I knew about the pizza wars, but I kind of did a little bit more digging about the history of Casano's and Casano's pizza, and I didn't realize that, that we, again... There goes Dayton in the forefront of history, being one of the first franchises in the nation. Now, we're going to get into it. In 1960, there were three big names in the Cassano franchise business. Vic Cassano, obviously, this is Vic Cassano Sr., um, who his, his family still runs the business today, I believe. Marion Glass, and you'll recognize him from Marion's Piazza, which is uh, continually voted one of the best pizzas Actually, in the country, by yes, it is. I, I think currently it's number two by Pizza Today magazine or something like that. Um, and but you Ron, know what? That's one of those pizzas. Either you love it yeah, or you hate it. So we've been true. here a while, and we've seen 
people in the Air Force come and go, and we have seen many people come back to Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, and one of their first meals that they want to go out and get is to go to Marion's and get a Marion's pizza. Yeah. But then, you know, it's really there are some people like, ah, oh, I don't yeah. like it at all. In this area, um, Cincinnati-style chili and Marion's pizza seem to be two polarizing foods. You either love them, which I love both of them, or you hate them. And it's, uh, it's weird. I don't... You know, my dad, he didn't like uh, Cincinnati-style chili until he had to eat it a couple times. And then he actually, he liked it. <laughs> So you had Vic. Especially had, on the hot dogs. I mean, that's generally, I mean, I guess you could put it on spaghetti. But so you had Vic, you had Marion, and then you had a guy named Ron Holp, who um, we'll, we'll talk more about him in a minute. Marion Glass were in a franchise, and Ron Holp worked in one of Vic's stores. And by 1963, Ron, Ron Holp, wanted to open his own place. And, you know, Vic was pretty good about, uh, Supporting small other small businesses and stuff. So um, he was he helped Marion set up Marion's Pizza, and uh, and so Ron wanted to open his own. And Ron's wife Abby Hope basically reverse engineered Casano's crust, and they used it for Ron's Pizza. Now he opened his store while still franchising for Vic, which is kind of a little shady, but I get it. You're it, opening a business is is a big financial gamble. So he didn't want to give up his day job just yet. One day he heard a rumor that there was a warrant out for his arrest. <laughs> Turns out that Vic Cassano thought Ron Holp had stolen his recipe and sued him. So there wasn't actually a warrant out for his arrest, but Vic sued him. And the judge actually ruled... Well, he was probably served papers yeah. by the sheriff or somebody. Uh, so the judge actually ruled in Ron's favor... Because they were able to prove, Ron and Abby were able to prove that, no, they didn't steal the recipe. They basically figured it out on their own. Uh, and but, but the judge in the case said that he still had to run his Casano's franchise for a year before he could sell it. Um, eventually, Marion also started his own business. Ron alleges that Marion wanted to buy his dough recipe. But Ron said no because, in his words, he didn't want to get sued again. But Abby did, um, Abby Holt did show Marion Glass how to make the dough. And Ron's Pizza here in Dayton still uses the original recipe. So if you want true original Dayton pizza, Ron's Pizza is where to get it. Because over time, Marion's has changed their sauce recipe. Um, they they, I remember years back, they changed their sausage, and that was a big deal. Um, okay. So, look, if you're not from Dayton... <laughs> It sounds crazy, but sausage and sauerkraut on your pizza, I have never seen that any place else in the world. Yeah. Yes, we have. Yeah. Uh, no. It was close. They called it Dayton Pizza. So we're in the middle of no... What was it that was pepperoni? We were, pepperoni. No. That's, or ham. It, ham. Ham. It was ham. Yep. We were in the middle of no place... Colorado. Colorado. Yeah. And we went out late to get a pizza in this restaurant, uh... They had pizza, and we wanted pizza, so we looked at the menu, and, and they had Dayton. On the menu, they had Dayton pizza, and they had it thin crust, which was right, and then they had sauerkraut, which was right, and ham. And Kim, Steve, Steve made fun of me, but I left them a note. Kim had to make a point. This is not <laughs> Dayton pizza. I'm a purist. So I left them a note, and I said, we... You know, we really appreciate you representing our, our city. Um, thank you so much for the love and the shout-out. But if you really want to make Dayton pizza, it's not ham, it's sausage. And I didn't leave my contact information. But we did go back to that restaurant and eat again. But you had you had Mountain Oysters. No, that was a different restaurant. That was a different restaurant. That was a different restaurant. But, yes, I so that's another thing that I like to do. I like to try uh, weird foods. So, so, and some stuff that's not that weird, like, you know, frog legs. I've had escargot, um, so snails. But I had the opportunity when we were in, in Colorado. Colorado to have Rocky Mountain oysters. And I did fine with them until <laughs> the last one, which was slightly undercooked. And I didn't think about what I was eating until that last one, which was a little chewier and a little undercooked, and I, did, I couldn't, I couldn't finish it. She did it. not finish her last Rocky Mountain Oyster. I couldn't finish it. I, I started, I couldn't do it. Anyway, moving on. Uh, so, 
Um, if you want original Dane style pizza, go to Ron's Pizza. Uh, and that's where you get it. Because Marion's has changed their sauce. They've changed their toppings. But it's still Casano's has changed their crust a few but times. So. Marion's is still. Yeah, Mary, Marion's and Casano's are Dayton both pizza. very yeah. good. Casano's is the original Dayton pizza. I mean, like, um, I I adjust the sound on the board here a little sure. bit and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's still original Dayton Oh, it's Dayton still absolutely pizza. Dayton pizza. But, uh, but the original recipe pioneered the by Vic Casano okay. is at Ron's Pizza. That's fair. So. Um, and Dayton, by the way, is a really, really good place to come. If you're a pizza fan, we have so many pizzerias. Uh, any kind of pizza that you can possibly want to find. Uh, we have Wheat Penny, which is down in the Oregon District, which is very, very good. Kind of, um, I don't want to call it higher-end pizza, but it's more, um, I don't know, what would you call it? Like specialty good. pizza yeah good. specialty pizzas where stuff that you're not going to find at a normal pizzeria we have um, you know there's some chains but then there are just so many yeah we have locally a lot of owned, really good local pizzerias pizza. yeah pizza yeah. pizza dive right here in beaver pizza creek dive right down the Excellent. street shout new out York's, to them new york style pizza very good they do a lot of good community involvement stuff old scratch pizza which is uh like old school wood fire delicious filio um which is also wood fired more like a yeah, I don't want to go on Inter-crest. with this because yeah, I mean, we there, there are so, so many, many good, and we're going to leave somebody out. Yeah, sorry. There's just so much good pizza Any, here. Okay, so yeah. So um, that was in 1966. Also in the 1960s, racial inequality became a big issue in Dayton. Oh, this was big all over the country. Yeah. There, there were race riots all over the country. Uh, one article, Civil rights and everything yes, going on. Yeah. And it kind of started, and you saw it in Dayton too. One article in the Dayton Daily News from May 1996 alleges that in spite of recognizing that there was a racial inequality problem in the city and taking baby steps to fix it, most of the families were living on the west side where schools were overcrowded and under-equipped, joblessness was more than double that of whites, and the city services were minimal. So kind of when you think of Dayton and the layout, um, on the north side is where a lot of the immigrant communities are. Even still today, it's like yep. this. So... The north side is is more the immigration. Um, now, this, that's is a rough, where the Barney, this is a rough generalization. Absolutely, yeah. yes. Well, because that's where the Barney Smith Car Company was. Uh, it was on the north side, and so that's where the immigrants generally congregated. African Americans were usually on the west side. And then um, now today on the east side. Well, the east side. East side used to be more affluent white, but now uh, it's kind of gotten more a little bit more run down. Yeah, well... The East East Dayton used to be a lot of the migrant, and I'll talk about them a little bit. Um, when I say migrants, I'm talking about people after the war that came up from Kentucky, West Virginia, to work in the factories. So East East Dayton was generally East Dayton back in the 20s, like in the heyday of Dayton, was was nice. Um, oh, you you can go look at the old houses uh, down there. Beautiful, yeah. beautiful. But then it kind of started to deteriorate. Uh, but so. Um, there were not a lot of there was there was segregation back in the 60s there were you you saw some uh like black city workers and you there were some african americans in in like city government and and things but not a lot um and then but i think that was typical of it, a it northern was. town yeah. yeah yeah i wouldn't yeah so um, there was this kind of swelling storm of anger that finally broke in the wee hours of September 1st, 1966. This was at 3 in the morning. Lester Mitchell, a black man, had been sweeping his front sidewalk when a car with white men in it shot him in the face with a shotgun. So that happened at 3 in the morning. By 10.30 in the morning, people had taken to the streets. They were smashing windows, looting, setting fires, destroying vehicles, attacking police. By 11.30 p.m., so this went on all day, the National Guard showed up at 11.30 that night on September the 1st. And at this point, the public believed that Mr. Mitchell was still alive. When they found out the next morning on September the 2nd that he had died, it actually got a lot worse. Uh, Young African-American men were blocking intersections and carjacking people. Hospitals were being overrun with injuries and treatment for tear gas exposure from the National Guard. So it was a pretty, I mean, you had riots and it was, it was real bad all over the West Side. 
Um, I mean, we're talking like, I think I want, at one point I read it was like a hundred blocks or something of lots of, of bad uh, stuff going on. By September the 3rd, over 175 people had gone to jail and the guard was at full strength. Now, eventually peace was restored on Sunday, September the 4th and cleanup could begin. Um, but I mean, you could really argue that this was one of the worst periods, like short periods in the city's history since the flood. It was extremely violent. Yeah, and I'd like to point out that this was going on all over the country at this time. Right. It, yes. It's not just Dayton. We're just trying to give it put yeah, up the history. We're talking, of Dayton right yeah. Here. And and I mean you could really kind of make the argument that Dayton um, has always because we have so many immigrants and because we are generally a f- a pretty open minded place, I I'd like to think some of the things that I read said that Dayton actually was trying um, to do a little bit better than the rest of the nation, but it was just rough times all over the place. Yeah. Um, and so in the 1970s, jobs started pulling out. Things started going downhill. Also, uh, with regard to racial inequality in 1973, even though um, we, you know, it was supposed to be an end to segregation. In 1973, a U.S. Circuit Court ruled that Dayton was still segregated, um, and they mandated busing to, you know, across district lines um, to more, uh, I guess, substantially integrate the school system. So during the 70s, things didn't get a lot better in Dayton. No, it, th- not really. Things continued to go downhill for a little bit. Jobs started pulling out, and this really hurt because Dayton has always been known as a car town. According to Skip Peterson, chairman of Dayton's Concours d'Elegance. Did I say that right, Kim? Concours d'Elegance. Okay. <laughs> but anyway, he said, we are one notch below Detroit. So he, he, you know that Detroit is the Motor City. Well, we are Motor City, too. At one time, Dayton made 28 different kinds of automobiles were built right here in Dayton, Ohio. 53, if you want to count the entire Miami Valley, which would include Middletown and Springfield. Yeah, we had a big Honda plant that I don't know. I think they shut down, though, didn't they? But there was a bigger Honda plant up north Uh, at one point that employed a lot of people. But I'm I'm like 90% sure that it's shut down now. Yeah, cars, car manufacturing went out. Yeah. So... One of the best-known cars that was built in Dayton was the Stoddard. It was manufactured by the Dayton Motor Car Company. And, you know, also right here in Dayton, we also have the Packard Museum, which is a very popular place. In fact, a lot of people will do uh, wedding receptions there. We've been to a wedding reception there. It's beautiful. If you're in town, um, check it out. But one of the things that helped contribute to Dayton being car city, car central, other than Detroit, was Charles F. Kettering because of the inventions that he brought into it that just helped, that were so important to the, the car industry. Remember, he started, he, he invented the self-starting motor, spark plugs, quick-drying automotive paint, leaded gasoline, shock absorbers. I want to keep on going here. He's Mr. 300. He's got 300 patents to his name. Automatic transmissions, four-wheel brakes, safety glass, which I have to mention, thank goodness we have it because I have... As we were driving back from Cincinnati, I noticed a big crack in my Jeep windshield again. Mm -hmm. I think this time I want to get some Gorilla Glass. He also invented the diesel engine. These are just some of the innovations that Kettering brought into this. But the automobile transformed the life for many Daytonians. Daytonians. It gave people mobility. It's why people go out on Sundays and hop in their car and, and go, go for drives, drives. Because you can go and do that. You know, you didn't have to get in your horse or hook, you know, hook up the wagon or do something like that. Yeah. You could just get in your car and go. Now, roads weren't the best, but still, it, you could do that. It just opened up all these places that yeah. you could go and travel and see things. It's really interesting. If you look at old, old pictures of Dayton from, like, the early part of, like, the later 19... 19- 10s, early 1920s, and even into, I guess, probably even the later 1920s, Dayton was kind of a boom town. Like, in the later 20s, it was. you would see just cars lined on the street and just people, like, the street was packed. Well, Dayton boomed with all the manufacturing jobs, the factories, pre-war, before, 
post-war, it, it was just, there, were, there was so much manufacturing here. People were employed, had good-paying jobs. Yeah. It was, it was big. Uh, all the populations migrated to Dayton to work. You know, I'm, I'm very familiar with the migration from the hills. It, it, my family, it, we moved to Columbus. My dad's family moved to Columbus with this migration. But you had a lot of families, you know, Dayton, Detroit, Columbus, Cincinnati. People moved to the big cities from the hills mm-hmm. to, to get the jobs. Um, many of the people that came up from Kentucky, West Virginia settled in East Dayton. My dad, when we would come over to visit, we would come over to Dayton to visit friends. He could walk down the streets of Dayton and he would see people that he grew up with. And he would say it was like, you know, going back home because all the people they would see here. That's really interesting. And my, so I mentioned uh, at the beginning of the show uh, last time that my family has been in Dayton basically for four generations Um, And it's really, it's interesting. Uh, My family is from the east side, and um, they came over, like, my uh, grandpa's dad was from, uh, he came down from New York, and my my grandma and her family came from Indiana. So um, the Indiana kind of side of things, I think, kind of ties in with the Kentucky side of, you know, agriculture and... um, (laughs) So... uh well, while a lot of the country is moving west, your family's moving back east. Okay. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> I mean, not like far back east, but... Okay, but then during the 70s, things went downhill. Um, peaking at more than 260,000 people in 1960. Right now, the city's barely clinging to a core city population of about 160,000. In the 2000 census, 2000 census... Dayton ranked 147th in its size nationwide. So, so we're a little big city. It, it's a little big city, but it's big enough. Yeah. I mean, I personally, I would not. I don't want to live in a huge city. No, I the I really like the size of Dayton because um, you can you can very easily run into people that you know, but you can also very easily avoid people that you don't want to see. And there's a lot to do, but you have to know where to look. Yeah. But, and we'll talk about that with the revitalization. Yeah. So, look, things aren't going to be all bad, but we have to cover this part of this. Yes. So, since the early 70s, nearly 15,000 manufacturing jobs disappeared just with NCR, National Cash Register. They moved out. They moved to, um, to Atlanta, Georgia. Mm-hmm. Automobile plants cut payrolls as the economy restructured and... Foreign competition came in, outsold domestic manufacturers, so it decimated the automobile business. Yeah, it was bad for a while. As of late 1990, five General Motors plants employed more than 20,000 people regionally. Now there are fewer than 12,000 people at work in these factories. So, I mean, and and that hit hard. We were a huge GM town. My stepdad's dad worked for GM for years and he had a good pension and I mean they they lived in a a pretty good sized four bedroom house with you know on a decent sized lot and then when GM went under it was just it, it was devastating. Yeah, and it it had its there were ripple effects on the economy with you know, the people who had the good paying jobs now didn't have it so it affected the other businesses and the the drug problem oh yeah came up. if you there's a really good documentary uh, i think it's on hbo is where you can find it um it's called the last truck uh it's about the closing of the gm plant here in dayton good segue kim because right now i'm going to take one um one instance right here as an example so if let's look at moraine the large plant that factory that's out there it's still there it it started out as a frigidaire assembly plant in 1951 until 1979 then gm moved in and they in 1981 and they started producing the chevy s10 there and so from 2001 to 2008 the plant produced uh, the plant produced trailblazers along with their equivalent GM automobiles like Oldsmobile Bravados and things like that. But, you know, basically the same thing. But Yeah, I lived in that area, like not too far from there. And it was 
uh, it was kind of interesting because you could, like, at any point during those the, the big manufacturing times, there were just rows upon rows upon rows of trailblazers and stuff that were yeah. just parked out on the lot. You could drive by and see all the brand new cars. Yeah. So in June 2008, GM announced that they were going to close the plant because of fuel prices, low demand for SUVs. So as the fuel went up, the SUVs weren't exactly fuel efficient, so there wasn't a big demand for them. And the last truck to roll off the line was a white GMC Envoy. But like you were just saying, I remember driving by and seeing just literally acres of vehicles ready to be loaded on trains. It it was just amazing to see all those vehicles out there. It was, and I always wondered how come none of them ever got stolen. Because it was like they were parked like across the street from the plant. Like there's, if you drive by, I don't know if it's still there. I haven't driven by any. I would imagine there was some security. Uh, you, I'm sure there was, but you never saw okay, it. Okay, so, so I'm thinking, I'm thinking Johnny Cash right now. I know one piece at a time. That's my favorite Johnny Cash song. Yeah, it's all Johnny's fault that GM went out. If he hadn't stolen his car from <laughs> one piece at a time, then okay. they'd still be in operation okay. today. So you're going to blame Johnny Cash for this? Okay. <laughs> so the plant shut down on the 23rd of December. Again, a lot of families were hurt. People who had good, mm-hmm. high-paying jobs. Now we're without jobs. 2,400 jobs were lost at that plant. Uh, Compile that with all the other closings that were going on in Dayton at the time. Dayton was rocked. It was rocked to the core with the manufacturing. Now, in 2014, Fuyo Glass moved in and began operations in 2015. And right now, they employ a little bit more than 2,000 people. So they're bringing back. Now, the jobs aren't as high-paying as GM is. Right. But we watched the documentary last night. American Factory and, up for an Oscar. And, you know, people are recognizing, you know, they're not making the big bucks like they did. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people, you know, there, there's going to be some controversy. But a lot of people are just, hey, we, we are thankful. Job. We are thankful that we have the jobs right now. We've, we've had to adjust. But, you know, during this period, a lot of people lost their homes. Yeah. Their houses were foreclosed. It was tough in Dayton yeah, during this there period was right here. One lady um, that was... Uh, you know, in the American Factory movie that had been living with her sister um, and, like, in her sister's basement. And because of her job at Fuyao, she was able to move out of her sister's basement and get, like, a basic... I mean, it was a very, like, minimal um, one-bedroom apartment, but she was able to finally at least move out of her sister's basement. Yeah. Now, I don't want to spoil the documentary, but we'll just say a lot of cultural differences from how the Chinese wanted to operate mm-hmm. and what the Americans were used to. So um, we're not going to say anything like that. But it it looks as if it has it's, worked itself out. Yeah, it's a it's a It was good, a learning experience on both parts, I think. It was. It's a good documentary. Uh, if you are interested, you can find it on Netflix. It is up for an Oscar. If you're local, I think they're also showing it again at the Neon, if you want to go see it on the big screen. Um, but it's a way for people that don't have jobs to make starting pay is $14 an hour. So it's a way to kind of get back on your feet, get back in, and, you know, you can get pay raises and move up just like you would at any other company. But by the end of 2016, Fuyo brought an estimated $200 million back to the local economy. So mm-hmm. things are starting to pick up a little bit in Dayton again. Uh, they plan to grow to over 5,000 jobs. That's now, this nice. is just the story of one factory, and I bring that one up because that was probably the largest manufacturing yeah, it was weird too. After in G- one place. Yeah, after GM moved out and before Fuyao came in, there were several years where that plant just sat Except. vacant, yeah, and it you, was so weird. I mean, there were almost trees growing up in the parking lot where those trucks were. Yeah, it was bizarre to just ha- in just a couple years' time to go from seeing rows upon rows upon rows of vehicles to just. I mean, you could easily imagine like just a tumbleweed rolling through the parking lot because yeah. there was nobody there. Okay, but this is not the end of the story for Dayton. No, sir. The most remarkable part of this story is not the decline. It is how Dayton is bouncing back. It's Dayton's resilience, the people of Dayton. Dayton is bouncing back. The metropolitan area now still has a population of over 1 million people. Yeah, we started to come back in the in like in the late 90s. Um we have a a really amazing ballpark right downtown. A guy named Tony Capizzi 
was kind of instrumental. He'd been pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing for revitalization of the riverfront for years. And finally, um, the uh, Fifth Third Bank invested in Dayton, and we built uh, what is now known as Fifth, Fifth Third, Third Field. Field. Yeah, creative naming, I know, right? How did they come up with that name? I don't know. Um, but we, there were all, I remember when this was built, and there were like all kinds of contests and things, like what should we call our baseball team? And um, the Dayton Dragons played their first game on April 27th, 2000. The Dragons have sold out every season. Yeah. So it is fun. It is a fun ballpark to go to. You sit there and you just smell the the brats, the burgers, the food, the the and smell. And the food is really over good the stadium. too. Yeah. And, and there's it's not there's it's not, not a, expensive. No, and there's not a bad seat in the house. I mean, lots it's of people take beautiful venue. Um, and they're, they're predicting that they're going to sell out again this year. So for 20 years, they have sold out yeah. every o- year. Over in right field, you can take blankets. Like if you take a group up there, yeah, they, you can put the blankets out Super on the field. Super family friendly. They have all kinds of stuff for the kids. Um, Heater and Gem are the mascots. So uh, if you are in town or if you're local, if you've never been to a Dayton Dragons game, I highly recommend it. Uh, the, we have a couple of Reds players that have come up from the Dragons. Um, well, they are farm team for the Reds. They are. So uh, absolutely check it out. So that was in 2000. Then in 2001, uh, Riverscape was kind of finally finished. And Riverscape is really cool. It's um, right there next to the field, ball field. There's like a splash pad for kids. There is a covered area where they put stages up in the summer. Our Celtic Festival is there. A lot, of, a lot of concerts happen right there. Mm-hmm. Our Celtic Festival is there. The uh, fountains from the river. Yeah, we have these giant fountains in the river, and they spray during the summertime for they a go little down while. Way, 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 way deep in the earth, and they hit an aquifer, and they shoot up. Yeah, it's really cool. It is really cool, and I don't know if they still do it. They used to do laser shows in the fountains. Yeah, they still do. Do they? Especially at Fourth of July, it's really and cool. And you can with go ice skating right there in the wintertime. You can go ice skating at Riverscape. Um, they used to have ducks, like the vehicle ducks. That I guess I don't know the history of the vehicles. You probably know more about that than I do because they were army vehicles, correct? Yep. So they basically were amphibians, all, all terrain vehicles, like they were like water tanks. Amphibians, right? they could go like a duck, they could go through the water, drive up on the land. So we had a couple of those. The city had some ducks. I think there were like three of them, two or three of them. And for right. a while there, they were giving duck tours, but I guess there was just not a big enough demand for it. They stopped doing it. Well, but. I forget what city, but one of them sank. It wasn't in Dayton. No, it wasn't here. It wasn't in Dayton, but there was an accident and people drowned. And I think that. Oh, they kind of put that. I think I would have to research that one, but I think they said, you know what? We need to stop this. Yeah, so uh, there was a big, there's been and continues to be a, a lot of stuff to kind of draw people back downtown. Um, we had a beautiful old, they call it the arcade, a big, beautiful old building that they're trying to restore. It's going to be reopened here within the next couple years. Um, and we've mentioned the Schuster Center. The Schuster Center the is Victoria gorgeous. Theater. The Victoria Theater is really cool. Um, it's now smaller productions where that used to be the biggest theater in town but then once the schuster was built the victoria does smaller productions but they're both really really cool we're getting rent this year at the schuster center um in 2009 ohio passed a casino bill that allowed four i think at the time casinos to open and it was like four casinos and four racinos so there were four that were allowed to have gaming tables and four that were allowed to have horse racing gaming tables and horse racing trotters Okay, and one of those is in Dayton. Um, It is kind of in one of the areas. Didn't they buy one of the areas that GM owned? I think they did. Yeah. And they they turned it into a casino, and that brought a lot of jobs to the city. Um, A lot of jobs and a lot of income. Yeah, there's another one just a little bit further south of us, uh, kind of between Dayton and Cincinnati. Um, And then... And then in 2013, here comes Toxic. And Toxic Brewery integrated, like, here comes the beer revolution. Toxic was the first one. We have an an area down here in Dayton called the Oregon District. It's like our 
Um, and we'll talk more about this in, you know, in a Jim, few minutes. Jim, but. Jim said he has a podcast on the history of brewing here in the Miami Valley. It's, it's really well worth a listen. It, it's worth a listen. And Toxic kind Toxic of started. Toxic was the first one. They yep. were our first brewery in, you know, in a long, 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 long time. Uh, and they're down in the Oregon District. And after Toxic opened, we had an onslaught. So um, Fifth Street Brew Pub opened, and they were the only, they are a co-op, and they were only the second one in the nation. The first one San was Antonio. in Texas. Yep. But basically what you can do is you can buy ownership in the brew pub, and you not only get, like, discounts, but you can serve to sit on the board. Um, you get all kinds of, they have a homebrew competition for their members every year. If, uh, theoretically, you could get profits, although, I, I mean, it's like 50 cents or something, so it's not really. Well, they're still, cool they're still adding you, right now. Yeah. yeah, so it's just cool to say that you, you, you own a brewery. You um, can actually say you own a brew pub. Yeah. We now have Bell of Dayton. Uh, let me say one thing about let me say rights. let me say one thing about Fifth Street really quick about this. Not only the food is good there, the beer is good there, but they are so involved with community involvement. Absolutely, every Monday night you can, and I don't want to necessarily single out Fifth Street because other breweries, Warped yeah. Wing does some stuff, Toxic does some stuff. Yeah. Um, but Fifth Street every Monday night you can go down there and support a local organization. Um, yep. They have guest bartenders. We've done it a couple times for the Alzheimer's Association. Uh, so it's it's absolutely um, Dayton is really making a big comeback with beer and art. There's been a huge resurgence, especially in the last couple of years, of a, a really booming art uh, community. So everywhere you go in Dayton, there are murals and really beautiful woodwork. Jess McMillan. Um, of the uh, Mosaic Institute does a lot of really cool art downtown. Um, she has opened uh, the Mosaic Institute is basically she holds classes to show people how to do mosaics uh, and does community involvement. There is K-12 Tejas, which is uh, sort of an educational art gallery um, opportunity for people of all ages to come and learn different art skills. It's really become a very booming, thriving, artistic hub. And that's what is part of the recovery here and the, the economic recovery in Dayton is the diversity. So it's not all just car town right now and manufacturing. The, the growth of employment is really booming up in services. Two local major health care networks, Premier Health Partners and Kettering Medical Center, Medical Network now employ over 15,300 people in the Dayton area, and they're nationally recognized for the quality of their care. The facility is amazing. Like, it looks out over this beautiful field, and it's it's very, uh, the people there are very kind and understanding, and she had nothing but good things to say about the care that she received there. Yep, and Wright-Patterson Air Force Base is going strong and still is a scientific research and development center, it they employ a little over twenty one. No, they're up to they. I think they employ close to twenty eight, thirty thousand people. And five aliens. And five No, the aliens aren't employed. Oh, they're not there. But that <laughs> is a huge economic boon to the to Dayton and oh, the Miami yeah, Valley. Absolutely. Some of the uh, large industrial companies of the past have evolved to meet the needs of the information economy. Uh, Parts of the traditional manufacturing base have been retooled be to become globally competitive. And one of the things, too, like kind of in keeping with the brewery thing, there is a distillery called Stillwrights that's here in the Dayton area. And I, I think of Stillwrights as kind of um, sort of the epitome of Daytonians. The guys that started the brewery, or not brewery, but the distillery, they were uh, heavy equipment movers. And so, like, when all of the heavy equipment started moving out, they saw the writing on the wall, and they're like, well, we're not going to have jobs for very much longer. So they went on the Internet. They learned how to distill spirits, and they started buying the heavy equipment uh, from these places that were going out of business. They refurbished it. They turned it into a still, and now they make all kinds of different alcohol for consumption yeah. in the local area. So it's that spirit of we see a problem, we recognize it, we're going to figure out a solution. Yeah. And, and to continue on with the manufacturing, in the early 80s, 
There were more than 600 machine shops that employed nearly 20,000 people in the Dayton area. But as the 90s came along, this number had fallen by half. But as the 21st century started coming along, uh, the number of tool and die shops revived and employment has rebounded back to close to 15,000 people working in tool and die shops in Dayton. So the manufacturing is still here. Now the shops aren't huge. They're small shops, but they are deeply invested in global trade. So what they're manufacturing is not just staying here in the local area. It's going all over the world. Which is really awesome. Okay, now i got to do my little rant right here. Oh, here and, we go. And I have, Great idea. I have written mayors, congressmen, <laughs> senators. Okay, so my idea for Dayton is to make Dayton drone central. What do you mean? Okay, so look, right here in this area, we have the universities. We, we have the A lot path. of universities. We have a lot of... A lot of universities. So we have the universities for the research. We have Wright-Patterson Air Force Base and all the contractors that are here with Wright-Patterson. We have Sinclair Community College. That would be a perfect, and they are actually doing this. It's the perfect place to go through with two-year degrees, two-year certificates, and train drone operators and people of this nature to do stuff like this. Dayton has the skilled workforce to manufacture the drones. Absolutely. Look, I think drone tech is still so new that we don't know. I think we've only begun to tap the potential of what drones can do. I mean, oh, yeah. yeah, you know, it's it's being used for search and rescue. Police can use it for this, this, and that. Military purposes, I'm sure. Forced fires, all sorts oh, of things. Yeah. And like, I I can't even think of the ways right now. But that's why we got all these smart people <laughs> that can do this. And I I really think that. We are still in the infancy of drone technology and what drones can do. Yeah, we hear about what they can do militarily, but let's look at on the civilian side of what we can do. Yeah, absolutely. There. So write your uh, congressman, write your senator, write the mayor. Or if you're listening and you you have uh, some clout and some power, then write to us. (laughs) Steve can, can give you some ideas. I've got all sorts of ideas about this. Okay, ran over. So what is it about Dayton in the Miami Valley? Is it the water in the Great Miami? You know, Henry Ford thought it was the dirt. Henry Ford thought it was the dirt. When he bought out the Wright brothers and moved them to Detroit, he included... There's something in the soil. There's something in the soil. I think he, it was like a foot. He wanted a whole foot of soil to take up yeah. to Detroit with him. Because, I don't blame him. Yeah. Okay, look, I've lived in a lot of places. Dayton is very unique. What I see in Dayton, and I think a lot of people see, is... The resilience, the entrepreneur, say it, Kim. Entrepreneurship? Yeah, that. <laughs> <laughs> the spirit, the, the grit. Just That was Nan Whaley's word that she used this summer to describe Dayton, and I think that is a great word. Grit and grace are usually what I think of when I think of Dayton. Okay. I can't do multiple, multiple syllable words anymore. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of a problem on a podcast, honey. Yeah, I know. But look, in this past year alone, we've had a major water main break in oh, Dayton that yeah, shut down the water. It shut down the restaurants for a long time in this area for yeah, a couple it was days. Yeah, several days. Yeah, we had a Klan rally. That was that had the potential to be really, really ugly. Um, this summer was a rough one for us. So there was a Klan, att- I, I don't even want to call it a Klan rally. There was an attempted Klan rally at Courthouse Square. And it got lots of publicity leading up to it. So lots and lots and like thousands of people turned out in counter protest to these. What did it end up being like seven people, nine people, something like that? And they weren't even from Ohio. They were they came over the border from Indiana um, and they were behind like five fences. So nobody could even really see them. But in the meantime, all over the city, there were counter rallies that were set up. I remember seeing a picture I think of... It, it had the opposite effect of what oh, they were... absolutely. It brought the city together I in a lot of ways. I remember seeing one picture of, like, a Mennonite guy and, like, a hardcore punk rock kid standing together right next to each other protesting bigotry and ignorance, and it was just really beautiful because that rally happened right before Memorial Day, which is when 12 tornadoes ripped through the city. And they started out Trotwood, which is way out on the west side. They continued through Trotwood, th- across 75, through Old North Dayton, through uh, Huber, Riverside, and then through Beaver Creek, and finally faded out 
Right. But they hit some of the um, areas of the city where they're already uh, semi-low income areas. So a lot of people didn't have, especially like on the north side, they didn't have homeowner's insurance. Like their houses had been paid off. And so they didn't necessarily have to have homeowner's insurance. And so unfortunately they are left with nothing. Um, it really, it was devastating. And uh, the power was out in Trotwood for a long time. Um, it, but we came together in a way that you don't often see. The, that's one thing about Dayton is we take care of our own. We've got our, our own people's backs and our city really rallied. You saw churches come together. You yeah, saw just individuals come together and everybody was out helping people move, helping people um, find places to stay, delivering food, making food. There was water anywhere you cared to look like there for we even after everything was kind of sort of back on track like power was on everybody was kind of oh there was getting still back a lot feet. of cleanup going on oh yeah but but people were kind of starting to assess damage and kind of getting back on their feet and getting used to the new normal there were pallets of water bottled water stacked on street corners for probably even a good month after the tornadoes came through yeah there were several large churches who kind of took the lead on recovery mm-hmm. immediately re- immediately after they would that's where you went to congregate to get a work assignment. And they had people who were trained in disaster relief. And so you could show up if you had a chainsaw, if you had this, this, or that. And they would say, okay, you go with this person. And they would take you out to a house mm-hmm. or whatever. And you would cut wood. You would move wood. You would haul it out to the road because eventually, the, you know, all the scrap and the debris was hauled away. But it was just an incredible effort of watching everybody come together. It was really an example of tragedy turned to triumph. Now, I can only speak here for, well, there there was unfortunately one gentleman lost his life up north. Yes. But here in the... Strange situation, too. He had been sleeping. He was a 93-year-old man. He was sleeping in his bed because it did happen later at night. It was like 10 o'clock at night. Yeah. Um, And he was asleep, and his car came through his house and, and crushed him. But we live in Beaver Creek, and the next day or two days after, I was out, and uh, I went by the fire department. Now, our firehouse, the uh, the firemen, they couldn't even get out immediately. They had to get their mm-hmm. saws out because it knocked the doors through on their uh, at the firehouse. Yeah. But I talked to some of the firemen there, and they said, we had a couple runs, but there were minor cuts and scrapes and then it wasn't the chief but someone else said we went up to Soin hospital and checked and it's miraculous yeah uh didn't you say that they had more injuries afterwards from people who didn't know how to use chainsaws properly and like in the cleanup phase yeah because well the next day it got really hot oh it was was, really hot i forgot about that it was miserably hot heat injuries and things like that yeah and so we pulled together as a city and we thought, okay, this summer can't get much worse. Like, it's been rough. We had the Klan rally. We got through it. We came out stronger. We had the tornadoes. We got, came out of it, came through stronger. And then a month went by. And then peace was shattered again. Uh, and this is almost, it's, it's hard for me to talk about because um, without even going into tears, uh, We care so much about the Oregon District. The Oregon District has really kind of become something of the heart of entertainment for Dayton. Um, There are a lot of local stores, a lot of local, most of the local music scene is found in the Oregon District. And uh, we made national news because someone decided to go on a shooting spree. Um, And our police officers in Dayton are amazing. They neutralized the guy, what was it, like four and a half seconds or something? It was fast. They took the guy out. Um, and our city, again, rallied in the face of a horrific mass shooting, came together. Um, Dave Chappelle, local hero, stepped up, put on something called Gem City Shine as a way to sort of reclaim the space and, and remind everyone that uh, this has been probably the worst summer since the riots in the 60s. Uh, and 
we are, that's not who we are though. We are strong, we rally, we come together, we hold each other up, and that still months later continues to be the pervasive um, spirit, I guess, throughout the community. Dayton is full of good people doing good things. Absolutely. There's a lot of things to do downtown. There are great restaurants to go to. There's a lot of food, eclectic type food. Oh, yeah. Whatever you want, you, you can, can find, find it. There's, there are choices to be had in Dayton. Yeah. Um, Steve always jokes about he's going to make me move, and I it's it's not happening. I'm not. This is my home. I would, I would, I won't leave Dayton. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I'll leave you before I leave Dayton. I like it here. I don't, I don't plan on leaving Dayton at all. It is, I'm so proud to be a native Daytonian and there's no place else I would rather call home. And while we're on the subject of, um, the best things in Dayton, uh, Y'all should head over to Dayton.com. They have this little contest going on. You might have heard of it. It's called The Best of Dayton. Um, there's this podcast that we know of that's been nominated as a finalist. Uh, what is it? An Hour of Your Life. Something like that. Yeah. And uh, if you head over to Best of Dayton and you go down to the entertainment section, you scroll down a little bit, you'll come to Best Local Podcast. It just so happens that an hour of your life is like the very first thing that you can click on. So you just <laughs> you just tap on that and then hit submit vote. Uh, and, and that's all you have to do. It's really easy. But while you're over there, there are, I forget how many categories, I think like 157 different categories um, or individual awards that you can win. The categories, bars and nightlife, entertainment, food and dining, people and professionals, places, recreation, services, and shopping. And then within each one of those, like the bars and nightlife category, there's the best Bloody Mary, the best craft beer bar, the best karaoke. So we have used this in so the past. Many. We have used this in the past to, hey, it's Friday night, it's Saturday night. Where do you want to go tonight? And we have gone to this as a resource to say, hey, let's go to this restaurant because look at this. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I, <laughs> every year we always say we're going to hit up all of the best of Dayton nominees restaurants. Uh, like, that's our summer plan, is we're going to go through all the best, and we haven't done it yet, so maybe this year. You know what? I, wanna, I also want to take a chance, not a chance, I want to take a moment to say something right here. Since we got into the nomination, we've been making some friends, more friends here in the local Dayton community. Yeah. People with Gem City Podcast, and this is, when I when I say it's a competition, it, it's... It's a friendly competition. It's a friendly competition. That just like everything else, it's pulling people together. It's oh, not yeah. dividing anybody. No, it's, not at all. Everyone's uh, coming together. Yeah, I especially want to say thank you to Terry Martin, Izzy Rock, who has really um, been very supportive uh, and uh, given us a lot of encouragement. And I also want to shout out to Fifth and Ludlow, which is uh, one of the other podcasts that was nominated. We just finished it um, today. If you haven't listened to Fifth and Ludlow, Go listen to it. It's a really interesting story. It's not super long. It's five, like, 30-minute episodes, so it's doable, even in one sitting. Um, and even though they're the, comp you know, the competition, it's well worth a listen. It's, like, one story, so it's kind of a serial-style podcast, but it's it's really interesting. It's a really good story. It is well a very – lots it's of twists really and turns. And uh, so, yeah, absolutely. So, Best of Dayton is quality, quality, quality. So, um you know, best of luck to everyone that's in the competition. So, Kim, if, oh, we are tweeting. Oh, yeah. Uh, so <laughs> We're tweeting. Funny story. I started a Twitter for us the other day. Kim got carded <laughs> I got by carded Twitter. by Twitter. So I started a Twitter. I am not the most tech-savvy person in the world, so Steve does all of our editing and all of that stuff, and I'm in, in charge of social media, but he does all of the, like, the the real work. So Kim tried to tweet. I So I signed us up for Twitter because I feel like everybody has one, and we already have Facebook, Instagram. What's one more thing? And I, it asked, it, it even said, like, what's the, if you are a business, when was your business started? So I put July 25th. 2019. Well, apparently if you're not 13, then you can't have a Twitter. And so 
they blocked me for like a day and a half. And I had to take a picture of my driver's license and send it to Twitter to prove that I'm old enough to have a, a Twitter account. So you got carded by Twitter. I did. I got okay. carded by Twitter. And they finally <laughs> unlocked us. So we now have a Twitter. It's at a lost hour um, on, on the Twitter. You can find us on Instagram at an hour of your life. You can find us on Facebook. Look for an hour of your life. You can email us at a lost hour at gmail.com. So all the things. Go follow us on Twitter, because right now we only have Steve and our friend Josh. So <laughs> go follow us, please. Look, the best way that you can help us out is, and I'm not talking about the competition. I'm talking about the, the podcast itself, is to go to the podcast and follow us. Follow that- us, like us, share us. That gets us out in front of more people. Um, and... We, again, we don't do this for money. Like, we're not making any money off of our show, which is fine. It's a hobby. I know, right? At this point, maybe one day we'll start selling ads. But at this point, it's just something that we love to do. We are both nerds that love learning, and we love doing the research, and we love, this is something kind of fun for us to do together. Um, It's a chance to make us hang out together. And we love entertaining people, and we love, uh, like, sharing our love of other things with you, like, (laughs) If I would have done this much research in high school and college, I would have been I would have been like in charge of Drone Central. Right? (laughs) Oh well. Yeah. But anyway, please like and share and follow. Um, do all of the things. Tell your friends about us. We also have stickers if you're out and about. I know there were some at Heart Mercantile. Um, you can write to us and send me your address and I'll send you some stickers if you want, free of charge, just because we're glad that you're listening. Okay, Kim. So let's get out of here tonight. All right. So from the 13th Hour Studio in Beaver Creek, Ohio. Thanks for spending an hour of your life with us. Okay. Well, Stephanie, thank you for sharing the way that you live. And I don't, it's not that, I mean, it's not it, that crazy. Yeah, it, it's not that crazy. And it sounds like it's very sustainable. It's very doable for you. I mean, if someone's living in the suburbs, it probably is not going to work. But I think a lot of the things that you said, that even people living in the cities or the suburbs can adopt some of these lifestyles yeah, and absolutely. what you're doing. And if you're interested in learning um, any of the stuff that we've talked about, you can check out Hudson has a YouTube channel, and he also has his Facebook page, which we will share. Um, you, We will be happy if you have any questions about starting a more sustainable lifestyle and would have questions for Hudson or Steffi, uh, you can write to us at alosthour at gmail.com, and we will gladly forward your questions on to them and get their answers for you. Hudson, any last thoughts? Be green. Oh, I love it. Okay, and Stephanie, any last thoughts with you? With saying, look out your local CSA. Anything that you can do to help smaller farms gets you, you know, a piece of the rebellion. It feels good to get rid of a little piece of supermarket dependency. There yeah. you go. All right. All right. Well, thank you, Stephanie. Thank you, Hudson. Look forward to meeting you one day. I think I actually did one time. But uh, you were yeah, we you were pretty Hudson. busy, yeah. Yeah, he was down here visiting grandparents. Yeah, I was chasing I was chasing a toddler at the time. Yeah, yeah. it's been a minute. Okay, so as with everything, I mean, Kim and I, our philosophy is live your life as you see fit. Tell others about how you live all you want to, but don't expect anyone else to do it just because you do it. Yeah. You know, everyone's got to be able to live their own life with all this. That's right. And so. 
I don't know, Kim, how can people get hold of us here? Uh, you can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Instagram. You can email us at alosthour at gmail.com. And also, keep an eye out because Best of Dayton nominations come out this week. I think they actually come out on Monday. So I will post uh, either way, whether we made nominations or whether we didn't on all of our all of our platforms. And, uh, and hopefully okay. keep so, your fingers crossed. Yeah, in the future, we got some exciting. Well, oh, the also, big news. Yes. The big news. Today, uh, I would. I'm so very, very excited. We hit a thousand downloads today, which is not necessarily a big number for some people, but we. It's a big number for it's us. It's a big number for us, and we are not about comparing ourselves to those big other podcasts. It's fine, um, but we just really wanted to say thank you so very, very, very much for listening and sharing. Um, please continue to do so. Like. Subscribe, tell your friends to like and subscribe. Uh, that's the only way that we get more listeners and, and get more content out there. Yeah. So, again, it's just a hobby for Kim and I as we do this. We love it. But um, we, we, we'd like to grow to get a bigger audience. Yep. And, again, as we sign off here, Steph Hudson, thank you for everything you've done for us today. And thanks for spending an hour of your life with us. Thank you. Yep.